Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 30-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid, unfiltered views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we look at the November 4th, 2011 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, small and mid-cap edition. But before we get to that, uh, several caveats. First, this show's for entertainment purposes only. It's not a guarantee. Secondly, this is a hobby after work. Uh, during the week, Mo and I are doing a lot of important analysis, and uh, we interview management teams, we read call transcripts, we go to conferences, but of course here on the show we're not doing any of that. Uh, third, you know, our advice here may be the exact opposite of what you should actually do, so do your own work. And then finally, I've been heavily drinking, so uh, hopefully those caveats uh, give you a sense of the, uh, what's going on here. The quality of this show, yeah. in other words. Well, it's uh, it's very high quality, but I have been heavily drinking. Um, let's see. So, uh, see all our caveats, I guess, at www.thevalueguys.com, where there's uh, buttons to all best ideas from five years of shows, um, there's a XML code there that you can click on in Internet Explorer, and you can search by ticker. So there might have been a, a show about your favorite stock over the last five years. You can click on it and find it. And then uh, what else? There's photographs there, things like that. And if that doesn't scare you away, then uh, settle back and let's get into the show. Get a beverage. All right. First up this week, we're going to go alphabetical. Um, and these are all at the end of the alphabet. At the end of the alphabet, yeah, and I yeah. find myself I'm not usually alphabetizing stuff right at the end of the alphabet. Yeah, I so that it's was a little tricky. You know what I thought was interesting? I want to ask you a question. These are all, or yeah, they're all financial companies, but they're registered investment advisors, and yeah. their net profit mid-teens. Yeah. Now, basically, yeah. you're an RIA. Yes. Are you mid-teens? Uh, you know, we could be. <laughs> I didn't ask you, know, you that I question. I said, a, are you? Well, when you're a public company, of course, and you have to print numbers, then, yeah, you're going to be mid-teens. I would tell you that our profit margin is zero. No, uh, you tell the IRS your profit well, margin no, is our, zero. Well, no, our employees, uh, you know, our employees take all the, you know, we, we, we basically pay everything out at a small firm. If you're a private RIA... You don't have profits because your employees' expenses take up all the cash flow. You if you want to just make a buck, basically, and it's a you know we're an LLC. It's a flow through to our individual returns, and most firms like ours, you know, unless we wanted to sell ourselves, which we don't, um, you, you you have no profits. But what you do if you're a buyer of one of these firms is you look at profits which is zero, and then you add back uh, compensation in excess of market. And if you did that, yeah. so you're, you're paying that far in excess of, of the market? Because I, um, no, no, I want to apply for a job not here. Not at all. We're, we're right in the zone of, 
average. We're we don't no, not at all. We're well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're you're you're, you're paying your employees what? an average market rate, and yet you're showing zero income. Yeah, I would say for a public company. You know, these RIAs, they have to, basically, they, you know, they, they report a profit margin that their owners would expect. And in our case, our owners don't expect that high of a number because they'd rather receive the money. The money. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. Just, just question. Yeah. It's a quirky little industry, isn't it? So no. um, U comes before W. All right. Thanks for keeping us on track, Mo. That's my job. Um, by the way, uh did you? Uh, we got the show started a little late tonight. Um, did you? Did you pass pass by those guys? Uh, the drummers. Well, how's your? You've got a franchising effort or something going. How's that going? Well, we're we're still in talks with a couple of cities. The cities have gotten you know very very. They're onto this, this, right? Of course. Yeah, they what know they the want value. now is, you know, they want a franchising fee. So I'll give you an example. Outrageous. St. Louis wants a million-dollar franchising fee for for an occupied Wall Street. Do they have a Wall Street in St. Louis? They don't. It's an Occupy. Well, how can they charge that much? Occupy Main Street. That's unbelievable. Well, and here's what's actually happening. The southern cities. Yeah. Much higher franchise fees because you can occupy year-round. Year-round occupation. Right, exactly. Ah, So what they want to do is charge an occupancy tax. That makes so much sense. So that is really complicated, the whole franchising of of the... Are there going to be any dual memberships? Like, let's say you're a member of Occupy Wall Street in New York. Yes. But in the winter, you know, it's a little chilly. Can you move into an Occupy Wall Street, like in a Palm Beach? Right now, there are no reciprocal agreements between the various franchisees. However... If we created a master limited yes. partnership and brought all of the franchises, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, that's. Do you know there's a whole economy out there on the sidewalk right now? Yeah, these guys have half a million dollars in the bank. They have a finance committee. Well, they should be listening to this show. Well, we went. We we made a presentation. I wasn't. Uh, no, we you? brought the the, oh, the waterproof the big boys, the waterproof right. PowerPoint presentation, and there's a lot of people pitching them. The Goldman Sachs guys were down there. I mean, it's a fairly well, decent so Occupy story. Wall Street pretty soon. I mean, they're in the one percent themselves now with with their ba- bank account. You know, capitalism does that. It's a wonderful thing about the. Uh, it's a wonderful thing about the economy. That's unbelievable what's happened down there. Yeah. So, well, keep us posted on that. I'm. I wouldn't mind getting a little action if you move into the. In the Phoenix area or something like that. Yeah, or, the Fort Lauderdale, you know. the Miami. Yeah, the, you know, again, uh, you, you, like to, you like to have somewhere to go in the off months. Oh, Occupy so, Key West. Occupy. Now that's, that's where you want to be. All right, well, let's get into it here a little bit. Uh, U.S. Global Investors, Inc., ticker G-R-O-W. Huh, you wonder how... Why Scots didn't get that Yeah, that would be a good one. Anyway. Rograin. Yeah, grow... <laughs> Grow is the ticker. And what these guys do, this was a, a, an issue filled with investment advisors and things like that. And, um, you know, right now these stocks are a little beat up. Why? Well, the economy's not really growing very fast. The market's become very volatile. People have flocked to safety, which the stock market, you know, isn't providing them. And uh, And I guess you have these Occupy Wall Street guys that are, you know, asking for the, you know, elimination of capitalism. And, of course, the stock market needs capitalism. So you've got that out there. 
Um, and, and so... And, and what do these guys do after the revolution? Well, I don't know. I mean, honestly, assuming that uh, if this Occupy movement can become profitable, then even those guys are going to need somewhere to handle their retirement. So what these companies do is they're not just stock market. It's whatever you have to retire on. They're going to organize your portfolio into the right mix of stocks and bonds and other, you know, yield instruments like the like the stuff we talked about last week and all that. And then, uh, you know, they're going to charge you a fee for that. Now, traditionally, the Wall Street brokers, you know, had a big chunk of that business and the banks had a big chunk through trust departments. But I think as we've witnessed, the trust of those traditional institutions that provide those services is, uh, you know, not what it once was. And so there's a chance for others to gain share. And so you look at some of these uh, bigger firms that are out there and, uh, and the non-Wall Street, not bank uh, firms that are providing these same services, and I think there's a chance for them to pick up share during a period where baby boomers increasingly need to come and get some advice as they move into retirement. This stock, U.S. Global Investors, the thing that caught my eye, honestly, it's trading at a little bit of a discount to the market P.E., uh, 14 times. It does offer a 3.3% yield, not great, but sustainable. And when I look over history, they've tended to turn in a pretty good return on capital. It's uh, down the last two years from their peaks, but it's recovered in 2011 from 2010 and 2009. And so uh, I think there's a reasonable uh, chance that that's going to continue to improve. Their operating margins traditionally have been in the mid-20s to 30s which is pretty good. Their share count's been stable. Uh, total sales have been, you know, kind of up and down. Their peak was in 07, and we've been flat to down since then, although their margins have held up pretty well. And so I think that continues to be on the mend. And I would own this as a theme being simply that uh, baby boomers need advice. The big firms have lost share. These guys are going to have a chance. They've got a very clean balance sheet, no debt. They've got 2 bucks a share in cash on a $7 stock price. Their dividend has been uh, very stable. It's $0.06 cents every quarter for the last five years, so that's apt to be something that continues. Uh, their earnings this year are running a little bit ahead of uh, last year, although uh, this particular value line analyst seems to think they're going to be you know, mixed next year, but frankly, I think there's no way to know that in advance, so we'll wait and see. Um, but I've got a little bit of a yield. I've got a stock at a discount. I've got an industry that clearly is going to grow because of the demographics and uh, a balance sheet that's clean with a couple bucks in cash. Um, so Val, that's what I like about it. Yes, sir. How does a company that makes money just giving advice post a loss? They don't own these securities. Their clients own these securities. Well, so I think what it says, to see, th right. see in Value Line, they have this little sentence here. The company is actively engaged in trading for its own account. Uh-oh. Now, so how do you get a loss? You actively buy the wrong stuff for your own account. And then in 2009, I mean, we had guys on the phone in the investment business, banks and life insurance companies, and, you know, those that owned, again, it comes back to bite you, these mortgage-backed securities were all rated AAA by the rating agencies, and that was a mistake. Um, and as a result, a lot of firms that wanted 
you know, a very secure um, investments would draw were, were drawn to these because they were AAA, but they sometimes offered yields that were a couple points higher than the the government securities that were also rated AAA, and so people piled into these things, and then they went bad. And so when I see a big loss in 2009, I almost know that they had some mortgage-backed securities that went to zero or something like that and wrote it off. And it's a one-time thing because it's never happened before or since. Um, And you just hope that their risk manager, if he's listening or her, risk management um, is a little more important this go-around than maybe it was. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope they don't they don't own any uh, Greek bonds or yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. They you know you don't know, but you know Greek bonds aren't rated triple A. And the problem that happened this go around was these mortgage backed securities using guidelines that Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae put out there. They were rated triple A, and that was not the right rating on these things. And so they got they got killed in it. And a bunch of life insurance companies and banks, you know, that kind of rolled through in '09. Okay. So, um, so anyway, U.S. Global Investors, G-R-O-W. Love the ticker. Yield's okay, but you, you might want to own it just for the ticker. Yeah. I don't know how excited about that one I am, Mo, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, all right, next up, alphabetically, Waddell and Reed, ticker W-D-R. Um, and this is a very similar theme. You know, they do mutual funds, um, and they... Uh, uh, they're trading at a discount right now, a 20% discount to the market. Traditionally, they trade at a premium to the market. Right now, they're at a discount. Why? I think um, Wall Street and financial-related companies are a bit under siege right now. And so it's not a shock to me that the multiple is below historical levels. They give you a little bit of a yield here. Three percent. That's on a seventy-seven cent dividend with a buck eighty in earnings last year and two twelve for next year. So I think that's a sustainable number. Um, margins have been, uh, you know, consistently in the twenties over the last five years. Even before that, um, their lowest was seventeen. They put up a thirty-six percent in '04. So, uh, you know, they've never had an issue in the margin department. And even net, I mean, again, it's just the math, but they're putting up north of 10%, 12%, 15%. These are tremendous uh, net margins. Uh, returns on capital, in the typically in the upper teens, they pop into the 20s a few times. And then return on equity with a little bit of leverage here, uh, their total assets to equity is about two times, and that's leverage for return on equity. So they're putting up... Close to 30% returns on equity, which is a tremendous number. And uh, and that's kind of the basis for my idea. I think the stock eventually, this thing should, in most years, get to a market multiple, which right now might be 14 times. And I think their return on, uh, on capital... Um, you know, might not rise too much from here, but it doesn't need to. It implies that you're going to get a little bit of growth here, maybe as much as, uh, well, Value Line thinks you're going to get uh, growth over the next couple years of um, an earnings of 10% compounded, and that would be terrific. So if they maintain this yield of 3.2% and they grow at 10%, 
that's going to be a you know low teens return and with this type of uh market i think that's a pretty pretty good number so waddell and reed wdr i like it well i have a question for you while we're you know when when we pull out three or four of these companies and they're all within the same industry I often just do a tick down the various columns to see are they all roughly the same, posting the same profit margin? Are they all posting roughly the same P-E ratio? <laughs> Here's a question. If you look at U.S. Global, as you would expect for an investment advisor, CapEx is a penny a share. The next company we're going to do, which I can't reveal its name, but it also starts with a W, is spending a penny a share. Waddell spends... 20 cents a share, you know, that's $17 million. And last year they spent 36 cents a share in capital spending. Now, we've been out there because they're clients. So, hi, Waddell and Reed. And I know what a beautiful campus you have. And you got that little, that little sort of a, uh, not waterfall, it's a little like uh, stream that well, runs. Kansas over City, there. you know, has the most fountains of any U.S. city. That's their big. Oh. Claim to fame, yeah. So me, I mean, but boy, those are some big cap. I mean, yeah. What are they buying for their their? You well, can't... I do know that when you have an expanded headquarters campus, that that's capex goes into it. You know, uh, U.S. Global Investors is in San Antonio, Texas. So um, I don't know how big their campus is, but they have eighty-eight employees. Yeah. So they could fit on a floor at a building. Waddell has. Uh, 1,400, yeah. yeah. so that's a little different. And then this other company has 75. So I think what we're on to here is you, if you have a small headcount. You probably have a small headquarters yeah. and you don't have as much capex. Yeah, and these guys, that's got to be... That's got to be a computer for every employee and a space for every employee. And and stuff the like the that. other thing I don't understand about this stock, and I and I don't understand about the couple of others that in the group, is if you take a look at the chart, you pull that up on your on your Bloomberg. I mean, this is a, this is a company that's been up to forty five, then back down, then up to forty one or forty two, and back down. And if you even look at the ten year chart. Uh, it seems as though there are are very regular events that trigger. I mean, I'm, I guess monumental. That's a technical term. Sell-offs. We're in the middle of one of those right now. And uh, when I look back, I can't tie those to anything specific in terms of their their fundamentals. So it may be um, it may be a, an interest rate driven, but the chart on this company is a little bit spooky, and then it looks like it's in in free fall. On the other hand, it kind of gets down to that twenty-two dollar level. And that's where it seems to bounce from a technical perspective. So given the fact that you got a decent yield, you got a decent payout ratio, and uh, technically you may be heading toward a bottom, uh, that, 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 and they obviously must have very nice offices because of that kind of capital spending. So what you're looking at, the, what are you looking at that? You're looking at the Russell versus Waddell? Uh, well, this is uh, Waddell. Right. And then this is Eaton Vance. Okay. So similar company. I don't know why it's not pulling up more tickers, but you know this volatility you're talking about is right. hitting both. Yeah, and and very. So it's an industry. It looks like an industry and phenomenon. 2010, they took a they took a nosedive, and then the beginning of this year, they I'd go back and see if it happened in the same month for those both of those companies and see what the 
is there anything that uh, do they do they have some kind of a seasonality to it? Because you look back over ten years and you see that very very consistently. Yeah. At any rate, that's a. I always love to look at the charts because. I was uh, talking with Val before the show, and he said that that's not something that you normally look at. I don't look at them, no. And I, I find don't. that sometimes it'll at least give you some sort of an idea. If there's a story here that you want to take a look at, that's the collective wisdom of an efficient... Of course, you're not an efficient market guy, are you? No, we wouldn't. You can't Why be, would you we wouldn't? have this company, you know? Exactly. If you have a bunch of analysts in a room trying to figure stuff out, that's not efficient markets. But that's why we go small, because on big stocks, you got... People all over the world at the biggest funds, you know, investing in these names that are, you know, household names around the world. We look at little stocks that no one's heard of. And so if you just think about pricing, ultimately, yeah, we can do analysis. We can figure out the P.E. and the enterprise value to EBITDA, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the reason the stock has a price, it's just sitting at the middle of a supply and demand curve and where they meet. And that's it. And so when you have little stocks, you can imagine the demand curve is shifted to the left. And so that means where supply hits demand is moving down and to the left, so you're going to pay less than you would. All else being equal, you're going to pay less than you would simply because there's less demand. And one of the things that helps small cap managers over time is that small companies tend to grow uh, faster than large companies, and as they reach a certain threshold in stock price, which for some retail firms, uh, their brokers can't pay over five bucks. So it could be stock price, it could be market cap, and again, for some firms, they can't buy things under a certain level. So you get a natural improvement in the demand just by time going by and the company getting bigger, which helps your return. And, 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 and on top of that, the chances of you discovering some kind of information that's not generally known in the marketplace, certainly not priced into the stock, is vastly higher in these little names, which is why we, we do that, Mo. You so, know, one of, the, one of the philosophical questions I always have when I look at, a, look at a, a, a financial services company is if I buy McDonald's yeah, um, in the stock market, so I've got stock market exposure, but I've also got exposure to the obesity crisis, which is growing and is fueling McDonald's, and it's been a great stock. So I feel like I'm diversified. But if I yeah. buy Waddell, I'm in the stock market in a company that's in the stock market, and haven't I just blown the whole concept of diversifying? Well, own more than one stock, I think, is uh, the answer to that. But in the case of Waddell, you know, they're meeting a need. There's lots of restaurants, including, you know, in the case of McDonald's, you can eat at home. With Waddell and Reed, you can build a portfolio at home, and I know, uh, Mo, that you do that. But for most investors, most people, they don't want to try to build their own portfolio. And it's, it's a little bit like therapy. Do you really need it, or do you just think you need it, or is that the same thing? And in case of Waddell and Reed, uh, they're providing advice that a lot of people are very uncomfortable doing on their own. In a lot of cases, you're really just giving people the confidence to think through their own situation. You're giving them the framework to think through their own situation and that kind of thing. But it ends up being tremendously valuable because if you don't have that advice, you're going to be anxiety-ridden. You still might make the right decisions. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is that hard, honestly, although we've spent 30 years in the business.
I'm sure a, a heart surgeon doesn't think that bypass is that tricky. But, you know, honestly, I think you can do this yourself at home, but most people are too afraid to do it and they want advice. And that's why Waddell and Reed exists, in my opinion. And I don't think that's going to go away any more than everyone's going to start cooking their own meals uh, at home. And so, but that's always been the argument in the restaurant industry is, well, what if everyone starts cooking at home? But not happening. They don't, right? Yep, yep. not happening. So, you know, Waddell, one of the reasons I like them in a, comp- in a commodity market is simply that they have invested in their brand and um, while many listeners might not have heard it, heard the name, um, they partner up with brokerage firms, and uh, and so you know the brokers know them. They provide a lot of support, so that when you have a broker, the brokers apt to know their fund families, which are called the advisors funds families, <clears throat> the Ivy fund families, Ivy funds VIP families, and they've got a lot of programs that are tailored to being used by financial advisors in the process of helping their clients. So um, I do think that there's a a franchise value here in the sense of existing financial advisors that know their system, know their approach, and like it. And then, uh, you know, they invest in in, uh, continued information and branding to that group, and I think that, you know, that'll continue to to gain share uh, relative to the banks and the Wall Street firms sadly including our own, you know, or my former one, that have lost some of that uh, cachet they once had, you know. So it just went into a sad moment there. Sorry. About the decline of the status of Wall Street firms. But how can I say, you know. The last four firms that I work for don't exist anymore. Yeah. No, I. Two of the buildings are gone. The firm we worked yeah. for when we first started, they've turned it into condos. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Mm. Although the firm still exists. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But I don't want to name it because it's top secret. All right. Uh, finally this week, we have one more, don't we? Yes. It's also in this area, financial services. Westwood Holdings, uh, they engage in the management of investment assets assets, excuse me, through two subsidiaries, Westwood Management and Westwood Trust. Wow. Their branding department working overtime there. Um, They uh, attract me really for one reason, um, which is yield. Again, the theme of yield. Where am I going to earn a little bit of money? So I wouldn't say this is super cheap. It isn't. Waddell is cheaper, U.S. Global is cheaper, um, but Westwood has a 4% yield. It looks pretty well covered. They've got a long history of great returns on capital in the upper teens to low 20s. They have no debt. They have uh, just over 7 bucks a share in cash, uh, no debt on a $35 stock price. Value Line thinks they're going to grow uh, gosh, uh, in the 20-30% over the next year, they don't give a five-year forecast. The dividend, um, it looks pretty stable, and they've occasionally paid a, you know, an extra dividend they did last year. I don't think you can count on that. But again, it's the same themes, which is that um, baby boomers are moving toward retirement. You know, 
older people tend to have bigger portfolios simply because they've worked their whole lives. And that's when you start to need some assistance. And Westwood is in the business of providing advisement, uh, rather uh, investment advisory services to corporate retirement plans, public retirement plans, endowments, fan foundations. And they use uh, funds called the WHG funds, which I guess stands for Westwood Holdings Group. So, again, you know, this stock, Waddell, U.S. Global, they all seem a little bit similar. Uh, but the edge that Westwood has here is it's got a little bit of a yield and uh, it's got certainly better consistency of returns than, uh, than U.S. Global and, uh, and a little better yield than Waddell and Reed. So I don't have much more to well, I got add. A, I, I've done I, as little as possible on this one. Well, that's well, obvious. Yeah, thank you. Um, look at the lower right-hand corner of this page, something we don't usually talk about on the show, which is total shareholder return. Well, you know, very impressive. Five years, 106% shareholder return. That's because the company had a killer year in 2007. 2006, they were a one-year-old company, or at least from a public market perspective. So if you take away that little ramp up, they've had a minus 18% total annual return that's depreciate that's a the appreciation plus dividends so here explain something to me why is this company trading at such a big pe premium given the fact that its longer term returns aren't that great four percent yeah i'm you know don't get me wrong four percent is a great dividend yield but i'd probably want to rather go out and buy a blue chip you know, a fast food company with that kind of a yield. Yeah. Versus this. To me, th this sort of scares hmm. me a little bit. Okay. Any thoughts? I do have a thought. 50% premium to the market well, and, and, and most years. Here's what I think. They're putting up margins, operating margins, in the 30% range. And I'll say this. People don't give stuff away. So um, if they can charge a buck for something that costs them um, 70 cents, there's your 30% operating margin. So they make something that costs them 70 cents. I mean, if we could do that, we would pay 70 cents. We'd go do it. But people are paying them a buck for years. Why? It must be because nobody else is doing it. Be my guess. Their margins are higher than Waddell's, higher than U.S. Global Investors. Now, Waddell and U.S. Global Investors clearly are competitors. They're both selling investment services. But Westwood, uh, and they're doing something similar, but they have this Westwood Trust. And then they're also providing services to endowments and foundations. And while this might not sound like a big deal, endowments and foundations, once they hire somebody or get involved with something, they tend to stick with it for years and years and years. In fact, if we could fill our client list with foundations, we would do that all day long because they have 100-year horizons. So even if they think they might want to fire you because you're terrible, they don't think about it for 10 years because they've got a 1,000-year horizon, and so they're, you know, they're managing for generations. And so you get a much longer time period with which to you know, do do well and, and make up for lost ground than you do at a fun family where, 
retail investors and brokers are just looking for an excuse to fire you you know, right away because if the broker can get you into a different fund, he has a chance to make another fee for moving you. Whereas this particular business, when you start getting into trusts, I have a feeling, and they only have 75 employees. So they, I think, are a much more, um, you know, uh, stable, upper stable end, customer base, upper know, end type of, uh, of a business for higher end uh, customers. The top 10% of the top 1% would be the client base. And as a result, I think that's why they get that little bit of a premium. Waddell... Um, you know, they got to worry about competition. They got to worry about their funds being badly rated by Morningstar. They got to worry about, you know, some brokerage firm that represents a big chunk of their business getting bought by a brokerage firm that uses their competitor and then they lose that account, things like that. Whereas Westwood, and again, I don't know this company, so I'm just making this up, but my guess is from these numbers, it looks like it's a little more stable. Um, you know, a little bit uh, the finan- higher. The and- financials may be a little more stable. And, you know, the, one of the things that, that, that I always do, again, going back to the chart, is if you look at this chart, because the, the, the distance between $25 a share and $50 a share is, a, is tiny when you look at the top of the sheet, um, obviously it's a little more volatile than this chart would lead you to believe, or you couldn't have a minus 18% return over three years. If you just looked at this chart, you'd say, gosh, nice, stable stock. Yeah. Good dividend yield. How, in God's name, do you get a minus 18% return over three years? Go well, I don't to- know. Where, where are you getting that? Three years, dividends plus appreciation as of September 30th. Minus 18%. 2011. So let's say the stock was around 30 there. One, two, three. So, you know, that three-year period, as you might see, is just... That's the only three-year period where you'd get that minus 18 because it's basically taking the high on the stock of 53 bucks at that period. Taking it down and to taking 25. taking it to now, whereas yep. almost any other period would show flatter returns. Fair enough, get. fair enough, fair enough. But uh, still, i just just say it looks a little rich for my blood to pay that kind of a premium. Yeah. For a 4% yield, mm, I don't know. Not going to do it, eh? Might have know. to go back to Waddell. All right. So you have a you're gonna you're gonna pick a favorite this week, or it's not Westwood. It sounds like no. I I think if I had owned Waddell stock when we went out to make a presentation to them last year, they wouldn't have beaten us up so bad. So maybe that's one reason that I'll go buy the stock just so that I can next say year you, you can say you own you it. can't hit your shareholders, yeah. guys. Don't hit a client or don't throw stuff during right. meetings. We work. <laughs> you know, plus, it's not really that much fun to fly into Kansas City. You know, it's like a whole yeah. day to get there. Right. But. Um, they do have a lot of fountains, though. They Did do, you get a chance to see any of that? No. It's fascinating. I know. I saw they have a little stream going outside. So, anyway, I'm buying the stock just so I can go in there next time as a shareholder as a and not, not pitching the company. So, that's, that's my idea. reason. So, for protection. Yes. All right. Well, I am going to choose, uh, I don't know. I'm so torn this week, Mo. You know, I'm feeling because, uh, <laughs> well, that was my pick. <laughs> so you said, you know, you've got some points on this Westwood, and now I'm feeling like, you know, maybe that's not a good one. But then on the other hand, it's always sold at a premium. Right. And so they must really just be kicking ass, whatever they do. I'm going to choose Westwood Holdings. And then one year from now, Mo, 
Write this down. One year from now, Westwood Holdings versus Waddell, Waddell and Reed. Of course, I'll have, right? the, I'll have the protection value well, of you'll it, get too, that we've got to monetize on how Yeah, yeah. I, don't, all I don't. All right, one that. year from today. All right, look forward to it. See you all next year. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. That's the end of our show. You've managed to uh, waste another 36 minutes and 32 seconds. So thanks for doing that. And uh, check all of our caveats, uh, photographs, information about things we used to do at www.thevalueguys.com. Thanks for listening in, everybody. See you next week.